John chapter 17 this morning. John chapter 17. My text is going to be verse 20. But before we get there, I just want to take and read two other verses and then read verse 20. The first one is John 17, 6. In John 17, 6, Jesus is praying, speaking to His Father in heaven, and He says, I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest Me out of the world. Thine they were, and Thou gavest them Me, and they have kept Thy word. Verse 9, I pray for them. That is, I pray for those same men that You gave Me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which Thou hast given Me, for they are Thine. Verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their word. So let's take a little bit of review. In John 17, verse 6 and verse 9, our Lord is speaking directly in reference to His apostles, the eleven. And then, making reference to also the local church that He has established during His earthly ministry. In verse 6, in verse six, our Lord says that He had revealed His Father to them. He manifested the name of God. I have manifested Thy name. The name of God is a revelation of who God is. I have revealed to them who you are. He says that they had been given to Him by His Father. And then He says that they had been faithful to keep the Word of God that had been entrusted to them. In verse 9, He reveals that He prays specifically for those that had been given to Him and for His church in reference to that. But he did not pray for the world, for the lost. He was praying specifically in these early verses then to the apostles. And as I have preached down through these verses, I have reminded you that he is praying for his apostles, that it also has reference to his church, but because of verse 20, everything else, that he is, everything that he is saying has reference to us today. And now we have come to verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And we got three statements here. Neither pray I for these alone. We'll look at that statement. But for them also which shall believe. We'll look at that statement. On me through their word. We'll look at that statement. Again, in verses 6 through 19, our Lord has been praying for those he has called apostles, the sent ones. And for the local church he organized while he was on the earth. But now in John seventeen twenty, he turns his prayer to those who will come to believe the gospel message through the preaching ministry of those who would carry the word of God into all the world. In this part of his prayer, John 17, we're not through with the prayer yet, but in this part of his prayer... His mind and His heart now turns upon all, all who will, through the preaching of the Gospel, come to believe in Him. 
And I want us to focus on that. Because that includes us. That includes us. In verse 20, he prays for every believer in every country, in every age, from the first century to the end of time. Every believer in every country, in every age, from the beginning of the first century to the end of time. Wow! I want you to think about that. This verse brings the Lord Jesus Christ's prayer all the way down to the end of time when it's going to all be over. The answer to this single prayer in verse 20 brings every true Christian every spiritual blessing that God has reserved in heaven for them through Jesus Christ. We have learned that we are not of the world, but that we are in the world. We have also learned that we have been sent into the world and into the very world that hates our Lord Jesus Christ and hates His Word as representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. Yet despite our difficult circumstances, whatever circumstances we may face as Christians, John 17 verse 20 should cause us to remember that the Son of God prayed for us. He prayed on our behalf. He, he was heard in heaven by His Father. That prayer He prayed in John 17 20 has been answered by His Father and is continuing to be answered by His Father. God's answer to this prayer is seen in the fact that God has saved you if you're a Christian in this room. Who is He praying for? Those that will believe the Word that was preached to them. Have you believed the Word preached? Have you believed the Word of God revealing Christ as Savior and your heart has gone out to Him and you believe if you have? God has answered that prayer that was prayed back in that garden, back in that time when our Lord Jesus Christ prayed in verse 20. This verse also confirms that everything He has prayed for those He mentions in verse 6-19 through 19 applies to true followers and true churches throughout all of the history to the end of time, history of Christianity. In that respect, it applies to our church. Our Lord has prayed for us, and He has prayed in the same manner as He has prayed for them. Let me review what He has asked. He, in verse 11, He asked His Father if He would keep them safe, if He would keep an eye on them, watch over them, protect them, preserve them. In verse 15, he asked his father if he would guard them and protect them from the evil that was in the world. Keep them from the evil. In verse 17, he asked his father to sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth, to set them apart, not once 
but continually set them apart, drawing them to yourself over and over throughout each day of their Christian life. In verse 11, he prayed that we might be one, unified as the Godhead is unified in the purposes of God in the salvation of sinners, that we might be bound together as one people to pursue the spread of the gospel to see sinners saved. In verse 24, he prays that we might gain heaven. Father, I will. This is what my will is before the throne of God. That they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Lord, Father, bring them all the way to heaven. These prayers prayed for the apostles. These prayers prayed for the first church in Jerusalem were also prayed for us. Everything in John 17 applies to us today. Everything in this prayer applies to us today. As I've told you before, but now we have the verse before us. In addition, from this prayer, we may learn that our Lord knows all things in advance. And knowing all things, He sovereignly works to accomplish those things. Faith is a gift of God. Repentance is a gift of God. Drawing a sinner out of darkness to light, from death to life. That's God working. The new birth is through the Spirit of God. That's God working. As the Lord Jesus Christ is praying in John 17, He is praying knowing that God is going to save those people out in the future. Wow! He knows that there will be a number in every succeeding generation from Him to the end of time that will believe. Because He's asked His Father for them that will believe. He knows that when we are no longer here, if the Lord Jesus Christ has not come, and the next generation comes up, there's going to be some in that generation that believe. He's prayed for them back in John 17 and verse 20. In John 6 and verse 37, He has already made this statement. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He has spoken of all that were given to him by the Father. John 6 and verse 37. In John 17, he speaks of the apostles having been given to him by the Father. Now, in verse 20, we learn that he's not only praying, praying for those apostles and those believers that were there at the end of His earthly ministry, but He is also praying for others that have been given to Him that will come to believe in Him. He knows that the multitude will believe in Him through the ministry of the preached Word. Listen to that statement again because it has several implications. He knows that a great multitude will believe on Him through the ministry of the preached Word. From back here, He prays that they will believe 
They will come to faith through the Word, through believing the Word. That means He knows and prays for those who are not yet born, that do not exist in the world as He is praying, but will come to exist in the world. He knows and prays for those who would come to Him from every nation and every people and every tongue. It is not just the Jews as He is praying here in John 17. It is not just about the Jewish apostles and the Jewish believers that made up the first church in the beginning of the first church. But it is going to include all the Gentiles too. And He prays out of every nation and out of every tongue, language, and out of every family, out of every home, God is going to save because they're going to believe the Word of God. He knows and prays for the conversion and the spiritual good of a number of people, which in the book of Revelation is called a number which no man could number. As he prays in John 17, 20, he is praying for a number of souls which no man could number. He knows every enemy. He knows every difficulty. He knows every obstacle that stands in the way of every sinner coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knows what is hindering them and he knows who is stopping them and he prays that they would come to faith in Him. So every obstacle, every enemy, every circumstance that keeps them from Christ is being prayed against and removed so that in the summer of 1975, Pat Horner, who was on the mind and heart of the Lord Jesus Christ in John 17, 20, would come to faith in the Son of God in a South Texas town called San Antonio, on the south side of San Antonio. He knows about and prays for the sure and certain success of all future gospel endeavors all over the world. All future gospel endeavors all over the world He is praying for the sure and certain success of those efforts. My wife and I boarded that plane, actually when I boarded that plane in 1990 to go by myself to India and preach the gospel. It was with this understanding. There is a people there who are lost, who need to hear the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ has prayed for them and is praying for them. And I've been called to preach the gospel, and if I preach the gospel, God will save those that believe. How do you know they're going to believe? Because Jesus Christ has prayed for them. And God is going to answer that prayer. What are you going to do? I'm going to preach. I can't save sinners. But God can. God can. I had five days in a region of the world that had been closed for years 
And I stepped off that plane and started preaching. <laughs> and Saturday night, God moved in a way that I've never seen God move since. 30 plus Baptist preachers were saved that night, plus a multitude of others. God knows because God is saving that night. I didn't keep track of it. There were probably 6,000 people there that night. And if they were saved that night, it was because in John 17, 20, Jesus had prayed for them. And He had said to His Father, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their word. And so He prays. I'm not just praying for this group, but before me is a multitude that no man can number out of every nation. They will believe. The future is used here. They will believe. I see them as having already believed. They will. When the Gospel is preached, they will believe on Me through their Word. And that brings us to that second statement, for them also which shall believe. This prayer looks beyond 33 AD to the end of time, when time and matter will be no more. Because of that, several things must be true. And I want to th- us to think this morning about all the things that must be true in order for this verse, this prayer to come to to pass. The first was this. This prayer in John 17:20 teaches us that our God is omniscient. I've already mentioned it, but I'm going to open it up a little bit here. Omniscient means that God knows all things. As I have already said, God knows all things from the beginning to the end. Every detail, every obstacle, every enemy, God knows everything about every sinner and knows what it will take to bring that sinner to Him through the preaching of the Gospel. He knows the end from the beginning. Not only does He know the end from the beginning, but He also has planned out the end from the beginning. That is the doctrine of predestination. We, hear, we read about it in the Scriptures. We don't hear much about it in the preaching. But that is the doctrine of predestination. It comes from a Greek word which means that God sees the end. And having seen the end, knowing the end, determines, has predetermined the end. 1975, God saw that Pat Horner was going to be saved. But God did more than just see it. God predetermined it. It had to come to pass. I said to someone, if God saw me saved in July of 75, could I die in June of 75? And he looked at me. Could I get saved in August? If God saw it. Now you see, I don't know what God saw. Except what He saw about me. That part. When God saved me in July of 75, and then later, five, six, seven years later, I realized God not only saw that, but it was sure to take place. God is omniscient. He is seen. 
and determined the end from the beginning. Satan could not get a hold of my soul. Sin could not destroy me and end up in hell. How many times did I almost die before that time that God saved me? God saw me. But you say, Brother Pat, does he, does he, everyone in this room that way? Is everyone going to believe? I don't know. I say to you here that are unbelievers, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and God will save you. I don't know the future, neither do you. You don't know what God has seen. You don't know, but God does. Our responsibility is to look from our perspective. And there are some sitting here this morning that need to hear the gospel and believe it. Believe it. So the first thing that you must understand about this prayer is God is omniscient. But that's not the only thing. Acts chapter 15 verse 18 says, Acts 15, 18, known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. All of God's works known to God from the beginning. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28 and reading down to verse 30. Listen to me and look in your Scriptures if you have it. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For, because, whom He did for no, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called, as God calls through the gospel message and as God calls through the Holy Spirit drawing you. God, then he also called and whom He called, then He also justified. As God calls you out of darkness and out of death to life, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and God justifies you. God declares you righteous and God declares you not guilty and God forgives you of your sin. And then what else? And whom He justified, then He also glorified. Heaven is waiting for those. So, what about those in heaven? What can we say about them? Well, they're glorified. What else can we say? Well, in order to be glorified, they were justified. In order to be justified, they were called. In order to be called, they were predestinated. In order to be predestinated, they were foreknown. All of these truths are linked together in the one, one theologian called the golden chain of, of doctrine. Golden chain of theology. They're all connected. They're all connected together. This prayer in John 17.20 also teaches us that God is omnipotent. What does that mean? It means that He is almighty, all-powerful. It means that He is able to control all events throughout all time for all mankind throughout the whole world so that each and every one he prayed for will believe in him. That's what that means. Let me say that again. Omnipotent. God is all powerful, almighty. It means he is able to control 
all events, throughout all time, for all mankind, throughout the whole world, so that each and every one He prayed for will believe on Him through the preaching of the Word of God. That's what this prayer means. Otherwise, what if somebody stops me from believing? What if I die? What if Satan, who is more powerful than me, gets control of me? What if this? What if that? What if... No. I am praying for those that will believe. And they will believe through the preaching of the Word of God. How will they believe? I've got that under control. You don't worry about that. I'm omnipotent. I'm almighty. How will it come to them? How will the gospel come to them? Will it be a track or a preacher? How will it? Maybe a Bible will be given to a child and she packs it away and then gets married and five or six years later they unpack in a house and there's a Bible there and she goes to work and her husband who's out of work opens the Bible for the first time in his life and reads it. And six weeks later, God saves him. Maybe that's how it'll work. I don't know. I just know that every event to bring Pat Horner to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring Diane Horner to faith and the Lord Jesus Christ was under the control of my God. And He began before that He prayed that in John 17. From all of His works are known unto God from before the foundation of the world, brethren. And how God would order things so that I would marry that woman. And at the age of 13, she was given a Bible which was packed away. And I would pick that Bible up, 24 years old, never read a Bible in my life. And God would use that to save my soul. How does that work? How does a grandmother who was once a Southern Baptist, who turned into a, to a Jehovah Witness, give a Bible to a granddaughter? At the age of 12 or 13 or however old you were. And that comes into the hand of a 24-year-old man. How does that all work together? You tell me how that works together. I don't know how God did that. I just know He did. And you don't know what all the details that God gave for you either to bring you to faith in Christ. We don't know. But we can look back and pick a few things and see what God has done. And that because He's omnipotent. Every event, throughout all kinds, for all mankind. The Lord bless you, brother. And, and throughout the whole world to bring men and women and children to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This prayer, thirdly, in John 17, 20, teaches us the perpetuity of the Word of God. If they're going to have to believe the Word of God preached from 33 A.D. and He has prayed that they will believe the Word, and then He's going to have to keep that Word. From generation to generation, He's going to preserve it so that in this generation, those that believe, believe because of the preaching of the Word. Have you thought about that? That God saves His people, as I said earlier today, through the Word of God. He said to the Jews, search the Scriptures, 
For in them you think you have eternal life. They are they that speak of me. They tell of me. He's talking to the Jews about reading Moses and that's several thousand years ago. And it was written down and preserved by God. And in the days of Jesus, He said, search it. Because they speak about Me. Speaking to His Father about the apostles, our Lord said in John 17 and verse 14, I have given them Thy Word. It's been preserved for them. Now I've given it to them. And the world has hated them for it. Speaking to His Father about... His people, He says, they will believe through the preaching, through the Word preached to them. He said in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy says, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to, to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. I didn't have the Scriptures as a child. Some of you have the Word of God in your home as a child. Don't treat that lightly. I picked up the Bible for the first time when I was 24 years old. I didn't have the Word of God in my home. You do. Thank God for it. I, had a, I did not have believing parents. Thank God if you have a believing parent that you weren't raised in a home like I was raised in. Thank God for that. They believe on me through the Word. What this means is that the Word of God must be preserved by God for generation to generation if that generation is going to believe. They're going to have to believe from God's Word. Those who believe do so. Because the Word is preached to them. Because they have picked up the Word and read it. Because someone gave them a tract that has the Word of God in it. And they opened it up and they read it. And the Word of God was there. And they believed. God's Word preserved from generation to generation. So that those He prayed for in John 17.20 will believe. Will have something to believe. Not the tradition of men. Not the ideas of religious men. But the Word of God. They have something true and sure to believe. This prayer in John 17.20 also teaches us the doctrine of the perpetuity of the Gospel. We were told by Mormon missionaries that the gospel had been lost for generation until it was given to Joseph Smith. And now God restored the gospel through Joseph Smith. And what did we know? We didn't know anything about the Word of God. But that's what we were told. And religions have come and gone and said the gospel has been lost. And the reformer said the gospel is lost in the Catholic Church. We need to reform it and bring the gospel back. The gospel has never been lost. God has preserved His message from generation to generation so that each generation from the prayers of Jesus Christ through the end of time have a gospel message to believe. And men have raised up 
And religions have raised up and they've changed messages and they've, and they've, they've darkened the message. But somewhere, God has always had someone that believed the truth of the gospel to tell someone else that didn't believe that this is what God will do if you believe on Him. And they believed it. Perpetuity of the gospel message. Don't believe it when men say the gospel has been lost. Parachurch ministries propped up in the 50s and 60s and 70s and said the churches have lost the gospel. God has entrusted it to us. No! Now, some churches have. But not all. Not all. The Scripture says... Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Make disciples out of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them, verse 20 says, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the world. Is this the end of the world? Not yet. What does that mean? Jesus Christ is with His churches. Jesus Christ is still with gospel preachers. How long, Brother Pat? Well, until the end of the world. What does that mean, Brother Pat? Well, that means the gospel will be around somewhere in the hands of God-called men, God-ordained churches, until the end of the world. That's what that means. Our Lord promised to be with His churches that preach the Gospel to all the world, to all the nations, all the way up to the end of the world, to the end of time. That's what the promise was. Fifthly, this prayer also teaches us the doctrine of the perpetuity of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Upon the earth until the end of time. This is important because the Holy Spirit's ministry is to convict sinners of their sin, to convince them of their sin, to convince them of their need of righteousness, to convince them to flee from the judgment of God to come. That's His work. That's what He does in the heart of sinners. I can't do that, but He can. If God were to remove the Holy Spirit, none of that would be taking place. I'd be preaching and preaching and nothing would ever happen because the Spirit of God was not present. But because the Spirit of God is there and present in the preaching of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit can give light and understanding and the Holy Spirit can save sinners and draw them to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and show them that they have a need for forgiveness. And teach them that without Christ they will perish. The Spirit of God does that. The Gospel preached without the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven is a useless message. The words ink on white pages of this book without the Spirit of God taking the truth to your heart is useless. God must open up 
the Word of God to you, to your heart. And He does that by the Spirit. So that if you're reading the Word of God and you don't understand, then ask God to give you some understanding of what it means so that you can see, so that you can hear it, so you can understand it. Because only God can do that. I can't. I want to. I want to reach in and change your heart so that you believe Christ. But I can't. My duty is to declare the Scripture to you. Only the Spirit of God can take that and make it real to you. And so the guarantee of that prayer prayed in John 17, 20 must also include the perpetuity of the ministry of the Holy Spirit on the earth. Otherwise, no sinner is ever going to be saved. None. First Thessalonians five, uh, verse, chapter one, verse five and six, Paul says, "For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power." Men can bring words, but they can't bring power. Preachers can preach, but they can't bring power. In power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord having received the Word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. You received it because the Spirit of God was doing something. Even the Apostle Paul understood this apostle who's been caught up in the third heaven, this apostle that was given so much revelation as he stood before crowds to preach that it is useless unless God does something. And so back in John 17 and 20 when Jesus prayed for those that would believe through the Word, he, that must of necessity involve the perpetuity of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This prayer also teaches us the doctrine of the perpetuity of the Lord's churches. What do I mean by that? In the Old Testament, God chose the nation of Israel to take His message to the Gentile nations. They did not do so. As the New Testament opens, Israel has taken God's message and turned it into a religion of man-made traditions for the Jews. For the Jews. But our Lord's ministry and our Lord's message is a message for the whole world. He established a local church in Jerusalem and then gives that church and all other local churches that follow gives them a commission to carry His message into the world and preach the Gospel to the nations. The commission given to His churches to carry the Gospel into the nations remains today. All the churches who are true to God, true to His message, and are true to the Gospel should view themselves as instruments in the hand of God to carry that message into the nations. I've pre preached this in all the churches that I've ever pastored. I preached this in Mexico. I preached this in, in, in India. I preached this everywhere I go. If God 
establishes a church in this place, wherever it may be. God intends to use it first here and then to the world. So that there's a little village church in Mexico that prays for the work in India and prays for us, by the way. And every year, over the months, they take up little offerings. Poor, poor, poor people. Farmers that grow beans and corn in, in useless soil, eking out an existence, giving a peso here and a peso there so that at the end of a year, at the end of the year, when, when, when Andres and Rhonda come to visit us, they bring an offering from the church in Aguacaliente in, in the state of Chihuahua in Mexico for the work in India. And praying for the work in India, what can we do to see the gospel go to India where we can help? And it's always just a small little offering. And it always received by me with such appreciation. I've preached in that village. I know those people. But when that church was organized, and I would go back, I would say to those peasants and to those people, God can use you to get the gospel in the world. And they believe it. And they live it. Because they believe churches are used by God to spread the gospel. Because of what the New Testament teaches. This prayer teaches us the doctrine of the perpetuity of true Christianity. You do not have to read the Scripture very full for in the New Testament to see that by the end of the New Testament there's already a decline in Christianity. Error, doctrinal errors cropped up. They left the churches. They went out from us. Why? Because they were not of us. Division and strife over doctrine and they would split. And that by the close of the first century. And it continued into the 200s and 300s and 400s. And, and then and as, as the days began to get darker and darker and more and more doctrinal error crept into more and more churches. It seemed as though there was a great darkness on the land. And yet, in the midst of all that false religion, false doctrine, God had a remnant that had not bowed the knee to Rome and had not bowed the need to knee to Geneva, had not bowed to the pagans, had not bowed. True Christianity existed. Little remnants here and there of God's people that believed God's Word, that took the Gospel, and took the Gospel, and spread it where they could, how they could. True Christianity never died out, despite the teaching of whatever religion may be. True Christianity is focused upon faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. True Christianity does not focus upon works for salvation. It does not focus upon infant baptism or any other man-made religious tradition. It does not focus upon outward experience by a carnal man that can be produced, but is not in reality the Word of God. True Christianity begins with Jesus Christ through His Word. And continues that way. 
has always been true Christianity on the face of the earth from the days of Jesus until now. Always. How do you know? Because Jesus Christ prayed for all that would believe on Him through their Word. All of them. And every succeeding generations from John 17, 20 forward. John 17, 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them which them also which shall believe on Me through their Word. And the message of the apostles and all true Gospel preachers was not a message of their own ideas for a new religion. We need to get something new started here. No. Their message was not a message of their own making. Their message was a message based upon the Word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ had taught them His Word. They taught the churches His Word. And then after the resurrection, God gave them more truth and they taught the churches. And from this statement in this prayer in John 17, 20, we learn that the preaching of the Gospel is absolutely essential for the salvation of sinners. Some do not believe that. Some do not believe that. While I was in India, I had the privilege to, to speak uh, in a Bible college, a conservative Bible college there. A good man. Didn't understand some of the things that I understood, but he's a good man. And, and he, would, he, lo- he and his wife loved to, to come to the preaching. And they, they invited me to preach. And they invited me then to teach a class in the, universe, in, the, in the college on the Word of God. As he and I spoke for months on the Word of God. And I was teaching one uh, Tuesday afternoon on the necessity of the Word of God in the salvation of sinners, that God uses His Word. And one man, senior, raised his hand. Now, you, you need to understand not everyone in that college was a true believer, but he raised his hand. I believe that we need to leave the, 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 the people that live out in the bush alone because if we take the Gospel to them, then they're responsible to believe God. I said they're already responsible. Oh, no, no, they're innocent. No, they're not innocent. They're sinners. He'd been through four years of Bible college and hadn't grasped the basic truth of the Gospel. That all men are sinners and need to hear the Gospel. That Jesus Christ saves sinners. It is absolutely essential that the Gospel be preached. That men, women, and children hear it. And it is absolutely essential that gospel preachers call them to believe God's message. Without the gospel message being declared to all nations, there is no hope of salvation for anyone among any nation to be saved. What does he say? I pray for them which shall believe on me. How? Through their word. How are they going to believe? They believe through the Word. That means it's essential then to preach it. Without the Gospel message being preached all sinners everywhere, to, to all sinners everywhere, no one would ever know the Lord Jesus Christ. No one. Yes. No one would know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. No one would know that He became man in order to take the place of sinners at Calvary's cross in order to bear their sins for them. No one would know that He suffered the judgment of God in their place, that He died for them that they might have life. No one would know those things. 
No one would know that it's possible that God could forgive a sinner. No one would know that you could be saved from your sin and get heaven as, uh, as, as, your, as your home. They would not know any of that without the preaching of the gospel. They would not know that it was possible to be free to serve a living God. They would not know anything about God, about the Son of God, about heaven, about hell. They would not know anything. And they would live their life in whatever darkness they make of for themselves, whatever religion they make up, and at the end die, and then know that there is a God that judges sin. And that hell waits for those who have not repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then find out. Without ever having been warned, without ever having been told, there's an option. There's a heaven to be gained and a hell to be escaped. Without ever being told that Jesus Christ took sin and paid for it. Without the preaching of the Gospel, all men would be ignorant of any hope of salvation. They would not know that God named His Son Jesus because He would save His people from their sins. They would not know that. They would not know that He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. They would not know that. They would not know that whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They would not know that he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. They would not know these things without the preaching of the gospel. Without the gospel message being preached to all sinners everywhere, no one would ever believe. And everyone would be lost because they did not believe. And so our Lord prays in verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone. I've been praying from verse 6 to verse 19. Particularly for the apostles, also for the church. But I'm not praying for them anymore. Father, I'm praying for them, for them also which shall believe on Me through their word. Father, I'm praying for every soul to the end of time that believes the Gospel. I'm praying for them that they would believe the truth, come to Jesus as a Savior and be saved. Let's pray, brethren.